Content warning. This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian cult. I believe in inspiration and power, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God, the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior. Episode 13, Leaving and Recovering. In the first part of this episode, Emma Pope shares her journey of leaving BJU. What was it like for you as you started questioning, what was the point where you're like, I need to leave this place? And how did you leave? After I had that incident with my friend who was an RA, I blocked a lot of people on my social media. I believe I did make my account like a private account, but I continued to just live my life doing things that I enjoyed to do. And the reason it was so important to me to still be able to post on social media is I had no community like physically that I was around, but I felt like I had support through social media and people I knew through social media. So that's how I found that support and that community during that time. But that was something I really didn't want to get rid of just to stay out of trouble. So I continued doing yoga, posting about therapy, posting about mental health stuff. So then I get a second call. I get called to the dorm supervisor's office room or whatever. So a few steps above RA. So she's in charge of the entire dorm, basically. So she calls me to her office have a little conversation so she was saying how she has been concerned with some of my social media posts and she had to do some sleuthing to get to my social media because she was not following me so I don't know how she saw what I was posting but she was concerned with my social media posts she was saying the way you're acting is just rebellious and that was the word she used I was being a rebellious Christian I also worked with her at that same summer camp So she was saying, this is not the Emma that I knew. You've changed. I was like, you're right. I have changed. You are correct. But I knew she was trying to get me to open up about the things that have been going on in my life. But I didn't want to open up to her. It was definitely not a safe space to open up about the different things that I was struggling with. Mental health, feeling alone in this Christian atmosphere. Like She was not the person to talk to for that. And I'm also a crier, so I kept my composure and I did not cry. I didn't open up to her, gave her a bunch of one-word answers, which I could tell really frustrated her. Maybe felt like I won, but in a way. So after I'm able to get out of the meeting, or I call my mom crying. I believe I told my mom about the meeting beforehand, so she was like, wishing me luck. She said, call me afterwards if you need to talk. So I call her afterwards, and then I start bawling. But I didn't ball in the meeting, so that's all that I needed to keep my composure for. I was like, Mom, I can't stay here anymore. I hate it. I have no friends. I'm miserable. They're controlling every aspect of my life. So she helped me calm down. I talked with both of my parents after that. But they basically told me to behave for the rest of the year. Don't get any more trouble. It was like March, April at that point. So they wanted me to finish the semester so we didn't lose all of the money dropping the classes that I'd taken, which is very logical. 
So they told me, behave the rest of this semester, get through the school year, and then we'll help you figure out what to do next so you won't have to return. So yeah, I am just very grateful that I had such a supportive family structure because I know that a lot of people don't have that who went through Bob Jones, and I am so extremely lucky and so extremely grateful to have had that. I am so glad you were able to go to your parents and tell them this and that they were able to help you get through that. So you left after that semester then, right? Yes. And did you tell anyone that was going to be your last semester? And were there any reactions to that? At that point, I pretty much only had one friend. I told her that I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I told her that I wouldn't be returning and that I'd be figuring something out. And she was extremely supportive, which was also very helpful. But I didn't have anyone I needed to tell then. I was very excited. I made like a big social media post the day after I left that just talked about my experiences that I would not be returning, talking about how toxic it was. But I didn't tell people from Bob Jones in person that I wouldn't be returning. They didn't deserve that from me. But I, I did have a friend reach out afterwards, apologizing for not being there for me. It just felt like a very fake apology. But outside of that, I didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of reaction from people. A lot of people were, a lot of people were a lot more supportive than I would have expected, which was really cool. People who had, some people who had graduated, some people who were still students. I've had some people reaching out to me more privately, just telling me how they enjoyed following along my story seeing how I'm like kind of how I'm thriving now how it's just really encouraged them as well which was part of my goal by wanting to stay on social media it can be so discouraging in the environment when you're told that this belief system is the only way you'll find happiness and you have to do it the way we tell you to and if it's not working for you then they blame and they shame you so it's so nice to get out find a new way of life to start thriving and healing and other people can see that and know that oh there is hope there is healing outside of this system of control i'm curious what has your relationship with your parents been like since leaving bob jones and what did they say to you when you officially left bob jones university so my relationship with my parents has been strengthened so so much since leaving Bob Jones during that time when I was really indoctrinated into all of those beliefs my parents weren't I was a little brat and I was very judgmental towards my parents and all of the judgment that I was feeling when I was experiencing the judgment I recognized how I did that to my parents and then I realized really how that had to have made them feel so since leaving, they were very supportive. They didn't want me there in the first place. But our, my relationship with both of my parents has strengthened so, so much. My mom says all the time that since I've left, she feels like she got her daughter back. And now we're like best friends, which and I just have. I have that relationship with my parents that almost completely got lost through Bob Jones. Wow. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm glad you the statement you said were... Your mother said, I got my daughter back. That's just, oh, wow. That's yeah. powerful. Makes and, you cry sometimes thinking about ooh. that. But it's very, yeah. Wow. 
And I think that's the just awful thing about cults is when you get involved, they literally change who you are, your personality, and they give you a new identity and you're not the same and you're told that this is a good thing and that you're not supposed to be yourself and you are evil. And so that is a hard thing for family members who have other relatives or children who get involved in a cult is they lose that person that they knew and they change. So I'm glad you were able to question, able to grow and get out and get in touch with every single part of yourself and learning to accept that. And thank you again so much for coming on the show. I've enjoyed this conversation. For people listening, thank you so the next survivor who shares their story of leaving BJU is Sarah Caton. And so how did you end up leaving Bob Shannon's university? Because you were there for three years and ended up leaving. How did that work out? I was actually afraid to leave. I wanted to leave, but I was afraid of, one, losing all those credits that I had worked so hard to gain because... Bob Jones chooses to be non-accredited. Therefore, it's really hard to get another university to accept the transfer credits in. Um, so one, I was afraid to leave for that reason. And I thought if I just stick it out, I'll can at least graduate with a degree. And then two, I was afraid if I left that my parents would just drag me back. Like I didn't know how much power I actually had because being raised, like you said, in a very closed, controlled environment, being homeschooled, being preacher's daughter, I really didn't know that I had the agency to just be like, screw you guys, I'm out of here. I thought I would be taken hostage or something by my family and forced to finish. That was my mindset at the time. That's how controlled I felt. I worked a summer job in Colorado, which is where I went to high school, and I met someone. He was an older much older, like twice my age, abusive man. <laughs> and she wanted me to elope with him. And I agreed to it, I think, mostly because I knew that while my parents would not respect me as a young single woman deciding what to do with her life, they had an extraordinary amount of respect for marriage. And that as a married person, I would be more free to leave and have like agency over my own life. At least that's what I thought. It turned out to be that I just jumped from one controlling situation into another that was also highly abusive. But I also want to say that I think for a lot of women growing up in a controlling fundamentalist environment, we often choose controlling abusive partners. It's just part of our programming in a way. It's like hard to make a different choice. I remember talking to my therapist about being in relationships with people that model the environment I grew up in. And my therapist said to me, as human beings, we naturally are drawn to what we're familiar with, what we know how to handle. And so even though like unconsciously we can seek those things because it's familiar and we know how to deal with it, because I think people can start victim blaming people for being in these situations. And it's, it's not that simple. We don't realize why we're making the choices we're making. That like yes. coming from our 
familiarity of environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's not easy, like to realize that and break that cycle. I'm sorry that you had to go into another um, abusive situation, but I'm glad that you're out of it. But what was your parents' reaction when you left BJU? And what was that process like? Did you keep it like secret from all your friends at BJU and just did it last second? Or how did that play out? Yeah, so we eloped. I met him in the summer. I went back to Bob Jones that fall for my junior year. It was during that like fall semester that he convinced me to elope with them. But he said, oh, we'll just stay in Greenville and let you finish your degree at Bob Jones. And so... I made plans to marry him over the Christmas break, but I didn't tell anybody. Like I literally was like sneaking off campus to rent us a house to go and get on birth control. I had to go to this. I just looked up women's clinic. It turned out to be an abortion clinic. And so when I went to get on my birth control, I like drove in and there were all these people out there holding signs and protesting abortion. And I was afraid that it was going to be some of my fellow Bob Jones students watching me walk into an abortion clinic, even though I was there to get on birth control, like I didn't know how to do it. You couldn't just go to the Bob Jones Health Center, even though I had insurance that would cover that. There was no way to ask for that. So I was sneaking around getting everything ready to get married and not telling anybody. And then we eloped and then I informed my parents and the college that I was now married and I was moving off campus and it was like it was almost like radio silence everyone just said oh okay and then because like I said they have a extraordinary amount of respect for the institution of marriage they didn't really say anything then basically I only stayed one more semester after that and I ended up just leaving the school after after my junior year. And yeah, so I'm glad you were able to get away. And sorry that you got in that relationship with that person. But as you've grown and have worked on your memoir, what are some important things that you have learned in your own journey? Gosh, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) The main thing is that if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you have no power and you feel like other people are controlling you, I guess it's just to to stop and look around and say, first of all, know that you have absolute power and agency over yourself. And there's no person, whether you're married to them, whether your family relationship with them, whether they're your college administrators, there's no one that can have that much power and control over you, you know, that you really... To the point where you feel helpless, to where you feel suicidal, to where you feel like there's no point going on, basically. That we always have the ability to just say, I don't want to be here. Yes. And is there anything else you would like to cover or talk about before we end this interview? I can't think of too much. We've covered a lot about, Mm -hmm. I just, I feel surprised that a school like that can still even in today's day and age still exist and be gaining students and I feel bad that there's more people out there going through what you and I did Mm. and I just hope that all those people they're able to find their own truth and their own power for themselves at some point oh that's awesome but thank you again for coming on and for people listening 
I'll link in the show notes to her socials and to keep updated on when her memoir will come out. The next survivor, Craig Vietti, shares his healing journey. How have you processed and really healed or begun to heal from your experiences at BJU? At first, I would say accidentally, like I was pushed into healing (laughs) without even really realizing that I needed to. Like I had said, I had dated this girl for a while. We had gotten engaged. And over the summer of 2017, that really started to crumble and fall apart. I'd been working self-employed filming weddings for about two or three years and that also started to really crumble and fall apart. I ended up doing a lot of drugs to numb and to try and avoid what felt like every structure I had built up to that point that was crashing down. And until eventually I had ruined relationships and ruined my own reputation. And a couple other things happened that really just leveled out everything I knew. And I said, I don't know what God is or what all this is, but I know I need to figure it out. (laughs) And I know it needs to be genuine and it needs to be true to me. And I need to stop living this formula that I had been taught because it's not working. It's really not working for me. And at that point, I started to get sober and read, I just dove into dove into everything I could, did a lot of deep dives on different aspects of Christianity, but also opened up my perspective into other religions. I'm sure this will be a common thing. I, I notice a lot of people leaving fundamental Christianity lean into Eastern religion. And in that way, it took a lot of concepts that I had always heard, but reframed them into a much more personal and individual journey and walk and much less about a social contract or structure. And in that way, I don't really wrestle with what is God or what is the, these big existential questions, I really take those things a day at a time and remain open to new information. But when it comes to my own past traumas and hurts in those environments, that's an ongoing process. A lot of it does fall back on being present, uh, nervous system regulation, And this is a lot of things I talk about with students at the colleges when we're talking about how to manage emotion, how to be able to listen to what's going on in your body so that you can articulate that in a healthy way. These are things that I was never privy to. And it seems kind of like you said, a Russian nesting doll situation where as I continue to get into how we operate in communities and in society, and our personal responsibility for our behavior and for the outcomes of those behaviors, taking up accountability for choices, taking ownership of our own lives. These things have been really instrumental. I've done a little bit of work with an organization called Sacred Sons, and they're like in the self-help spirituality sphere of things, which 
certainly has its pitfalls, but it's been incredibly beneficial in, in just retraining my brain, how to view myself and the world around me and how to treat those around me. I've found great healing in accepting myself. <laughs> I think that's the biggest one is accepting fully the good and bad who I am, not trying to suppress aspects of myself anymore, but fully owning all I am as a human being and loving that and saying that's good. You're worthy. You're good. Bring the fullness of who you are to this situation, to this person in front of you, instead of, like you said, living in the shame cycle. And there's been real healing in that, connecting with others. I've really developed a strong relationship with my sister. I have one sibling, and she grew up in a similar environment, in the same environment I did, and went to a similar Christian college. And so it's been really good just to bounce things off of each other and have some of these harder conversations about where we've been and things that have happened and how to move forward and how to process those things. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that about your own healing journey and just learn to embrace every part of yourself. And I, that is just such an important part of the healing journey, I think. And also, like really, as I've been on my own healing journey, learning that it's about going from this place from fear to love, this place from disconnection to connection, connection to ourselves, and then connection to others, which it sounds like what is happening in your healing journey. So thank you so much. The next survivor, Erin Birchwell, shares her story of leaving BJU and healing from her trauma. And something I think I want to dig a little bit more into with you as a child in this environment coping with it. I was today you sent me a video and you showed me really like hundreds, maybe even, I don't know, thousands of paper dolls that you made. So could you dig into that with your like your childhood trauma and what it portrayed and why you made them? It's funny. I'm an artist. My husband's an accountant. So it's an interesting combination. We've been married 20 years this August, so it clearly works. But he jokes that had he known about these paper dolls before we got married, that it would have been a deal breaker because he's very creeped out by the whole fact. But yeah, when we were little, there were only so many things on TV you could watch. You really couldn't listen to the radio. Oh, Bob Jens had their own radio station too. Did I mention that? So that you could safely listen to the radio. We weren't allowed to listen to anything that had any kind of drum beat except for Sousa marches. And that's whatever, because it went back to African drums and sexual beats. I believe that Duggar documentary also touched on that. But anyway, yeah. So the entertainment wise, we played outside. We played house or we were allowed Barbies. I know a lot of people were not allowed Barbies. My therapist now has told me that what I did instead of journaling was I actually drew the world around me. I just thought I was playing when I was little, but I drew more than a thousand probably a couple thousand paper dolls. And they were just people that I cut out on some of them on notebook paper. But I started when I was in first grade and my sister and I would play with them for a long time. And I hadn't looked at them in a couple decades. I found them in my parents' attic just a couple years ago. And I thought, oh, this will be fun to put them in a book. And when I started categorizing them about women, men, just for my own sake, to put them in a memory book, I was really taken aback by 
how scary they really were. So if you look at them, all the men have short hair and sideburns that don't go below the middle of the earlobe. That was the rule. And no facial hair and collared shirts and khaki pants. And it's like page after page of different men in collared shirts, khaki pants. And then women had long skirts and long hair or it just the the outward appearance looks like a cult and that's and those were the people around me and i know now looking back that i was drawing actual people that i know i can say oh that was that person she taught third grade or this person was in the registrar's office and this person whatever but as a child i was just constantly observing the world around me it's funny because a lot of the paper dolls this is a really weird rabbit trail but interesting a lot of the paper dolls have like medical issues like they're missing a foot or they're have a black eye and I've talked in depth to my therapist about this as well. A lot of the entertainment we had growing up was prayer request time at church because, again, we weren't going to movies or you were seeing a Bob Jones play or a Shakespeare play that was cleaned up, I might add. And so people would give these very dramatic prayer requests about injuries and newborn babies being born prematurely. And oddly enough, the paper dolls I drew reflected these really severe prayer requests that would come through our church. But it's just, it's again, it's just, that was my worldview and it was all we knew. And it's very, it's crazy to look back at, but there are two pop culture references that I give people who don't understand what I'm talking about. Of course, now this Duggar documentary can be my third. So thank you, Duggars. But it's, I'm stealing this from my pastor, the, the movie M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. That movie is very much like how we were in this insulated world. Dr. Bob started it because supposedly he didn't want the free thinking, drug touting, sex, rock and roll universities. He wanted a safe place. So we were lied to about the outside world and the other churches because it was a scary wood. So the village is a really great analogy. And then Kimmy Schmidt, of course, where she comes out of the ground and she goes to New York City and she's lived in a nuclear fallout her whole life and she comes out. And that's what I felt a lot with pop, like 80s pop culture. I don't know 80s music very well or because we weren't allowed to listen to any of that stuff. Yes, thank you so much. And I love that you mentioned The Village because when I watched The Village, I thought the same exact thing in like growing up in fundamentalism, how there's all these scary things in these woods that you don't cross this like, you don't go into this territory. You stay within these confines. And the last official question, I think, mm. is how has your healing journey been since leaving this environment? My healing journey has been one of many different factors. So my childhood growing up on a campus like that was so isolating, the pressure of being a perfect Christian from the time I could talk the grace report, what happened to me there, and my also equally abusive church. So my healing has been through a lot of different aspects. And something that happened to me last year where I had, I dropped some glass. I'm a real klutz. I, I work with vases and flowers a lot. And I'm an artist. I'm always getting stitches. And I had, I dropped something on my foot. I had to get about seven stitches in my foot. And long story short, a suture or something got embedded down in there. And so the wound healed and was a lot better than it used to be. But if you touch on my foot in a certain spot, you can feel this something still there. And it's a lot better than it used to be. But it's there's something down under there still. And I, had, I thought about what a great analogy that is for those of us who've come through a journey like 
for me, even the grace reports, I've allowed myself to heal up from my time at Bob Jones. And I didn't address what was underneath the surface, but I managed to go on with my life. And I thought it's way better than it was. It's way better than it was. But then you get a new pair of sandals and it hits you at the wrong spot or there are these triggers in life. Part of my healing journey really came when the grace report came along because they allowed me to say, we can go under anesthesia and cut that out and stitch it back up and you'll feel a lot better. Initially you won't, but we can help you get better. We can get that thing under the surface out. So when I was allowed to sit in front of people during the grace report and they looked me in the eye and they listened to every word I said and they said, we believe you. And they had tears in their eyes and they cried when I cried. That was so healing for me, working up to it and getting it out was awful. Digging around for that, whatever in your wound it was painful. And the recovery after that was painful. But now it's hard to imagine that I would have not done that. And so the grace report was a really big moment for me to say, you know what, I'm getting it all. Let's get it out. Let's just get it out and let's feel better later. So when I was able to start that process, I felt a lot better. Ironically, when my parents got fired from Bob Jones, I felt a lot freer to speak out. And I didn't have that fear of getting them fired anymore. The worst had happened. They were, they had been fired. So I was able to speak. And the more I told my story to people and the more I saw that other people had stories like mine and the more I saw online that I'm not the only one, I'm not crazy. There are a lot of people in the same boat uh, as I was. That was all very confirming and very healing for me. And I've been able to share my story a lot now. I feel like I've been able to help people as well. I'm really thankful for that liberal Christian school I went to. They let me give my testimony very early on when it was rough. And I'm sure it. they let me hack my way through. And I'm sure it didn't have a really a great moral tone to it. But they let me speak my truth. And it was so healing for me. That was a huge part of my journey was sharing and healing and meeting other people. I've been through a lot of therapy. I have a Christian therapist. I have other therapists that are not Christian. I've had medication. I've had holistic. I've done everything that I can to get better and to feel better. When you can physically feel better, you can emotionally begin to heal. Taking care of myself, self-care has been a lifelong struggle. And part of that comes from how I was raised in that life is short and people are dying and going to hell every day. We had to quote that in chapel that Everywhere around you, someone is dying. So I don't know why you're taking a break because people are going to burn alive if you don't get up and do something. So self-care has been a struggle for me, but it's so important. I had to get away from a lot of toxic people in my life. And for me, that was anybody that was supporting the school in any way. So any staff member that was still there or any person sending their as good of a friend as they were of mine if they're sending their kids there I couldn't do it it's it was toxic to me and I had to get all that out I did get off social media for a little bit and that helps and then I had to make peace with myself not the university so to speak but with myself and knowing things like I forgive myself for what I did when I was a student there I was still in the culture of turning people in and I was doing that from a place of that I thought that was the right thing to do. And I know now that it wasn't. And I can never go back and apologize to everybody that I hurt. But I know that the, at the same time, I forgive those. All of us who've come out now, there's a general knowledge of that we forgive each other for 
I'm sorry I said when I for what I said when I was hungry or <laughs> this the phrase like I'm sorry for what I did when I was there but we all did it we all thought we were doing the right thing and we were all doing the wrong thing forgiving myself for those things too and then changing and not being afraid to change and become a better person I'm constantly saying all right where have I been wrong because I've been wrong a lot I'm not every interview or every post I've done has been in the right spirit or the right tone or some of it's been self-serving in the past, but I'm getting better. But I will say this, people will still say to me, why can't you just move on? Well, why do you have to keep bringing this up? And the simple answer to that is because it hasn't changed. They haven't changed. They may have raised the skirt length or the short length. They may listen to bluegrass now, but the culture of fear and sweeping things under the rug and even just apologizing for past wrongs or making things right like the promise. None of this has actually gone away or changed. And just as late as 2019, it's public record. You can look it up online. A girl was raped by Furman soccer players. She and her friend were drugged and given alcohol and then raped or she was raped. Long story short, she was afraid to do a rape kit that night because she was afraid she'd get kicked out. She did get kicked out. Randy Page, who grew up with my husband and who knows me, but has not been very kind to us in the past 10 years, he told the Greenville News she didn't get kicked out of Bob Jones because she was raped. She got kicked out because she drank alcohol. The whole point, Randy and everyone else, is not that she drank alcohol. The point is this child was terrified to get a rape kit because she was afraid of being kicked out. And she was kicked out. The point is that culture of fear is still there. That pressure on women is still there. And you can change any of these little outward things that you'd like. There, You've got a problem. This was 2019. The, the lawsuit is still ongoing. And again, no one has apologized for that until... I would say to Bob Jones, the same thing they've said to us our whole lives. Until there's repentance, until there's a change, then what what am I supposed to believe? You haven't changed. And that's where I stand when people try to say, why can't you just move on? I have moved on. I have a very good life. I cannot complain about anything in my life. I love my life. But I also know that things happen to us for a reason. And if we don't use our life experiences to help the next person, and especially the person who's been, we've been in their shoes. And that's girls who are still down there who may not want to be down there. Girls who are afraid to go forward because they're going to get kicked out, even though they've been raped. If we don't speak up, then what was the point of me going through that? Thank you so much for all those powerful, inspirational words. And I'm so sorry for all that you've been through. And I applaud you for speaking up about it. And you're exactly right. I've had people tell me, why don't you just move on? And it's like in the analogy of you see a burning building and you help your, you get yourself out, but you don't tell anyone else. You save yourself and you save no one else. So it's, and I told someone, I'm like, I wouldn't feel right being quiet and letting this abuse, letting these toxic teachings still continue to influence and harm people. And I'm so grateful that you've been a part of this podcast to help bring light because I think there are a lot of people in Greenville who are like, who know that Bob Jones is a terrible place, but they don't know enough, I think, about it or have dug into it. So I'm really excited for this podcast to pull back the curtain 
and show people what's really going on behind the gates, behind the scenes. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, being vulnerable, digging these really hard things and hard subjects. And thank you so much for sharing your healing journey and as an encouragement to others. Thank you for having me again. I, and I really appreciate you and all the effort you're putting into getting the word out. Organizing something like this is a big feat, it's a huge task, but it's so vitally important because there's still a whole campus of kids down there and say what you want. But we know that there are kids there right now who don't know that they have a choice they feel like they don't have a choice. Their churches will disown them. Their parents won't pay for a penny for them to go somewhere else. They don't think they have a choice. And like you said, with the burning building, it's still burning. It may not burn, be burning on every floor, but it's still burning. And there's still people in the places where it's burning. And again, until I see huge, these huge, gross atrocities apologized for and corrected, I will not believe that place is better. Yeah, for people listening, thank you so much for listening. Because it's I know this podcast it's not an easy listen at all. And if you could please just share this podcast and leave a review to combat the haters. And thank you again, Aaron, for coming on the show. In the next part of this episode, Greg Vietti gives advice to people who are at Bob Jones University and are experiencing the harm and want to leave, but don't know how. Yes, and there's one like off-the-cuff question that I had, but I know there are going to be a select few, I think, current BJU students who will end up listening to this. And I'm just curious, what advice do you have for those students who are questioning of that environment and their approach and dealing with the toxicity of BJU? This might be a pessimistic answer to that question, but I would tell them that any effort to change the culture there is probably fruitless. Don't try because the way that they operate is so deeply ingrained in their history and in their present bad I think, and actually I know there are many on the administration that would rather see the school die than see any meaningful change. And so if you're a student, keep your head down, get your degree and get out. <laughs> Try to find uh, people off campus that aren't associated with Bob Jones who you can befriend and spend time with. A lot of my healing came from just living in Greenville. And getting to see Greenville outside of Bob Jones, uh, maybe do some mushrooms if you get a chance <laughs> in a safe environment. And be open to flipping that mirror that we push on the culture and taking a look at the things that you were taught, the things that either you were raised with or you were presented with at the school and look at that through a critical lens and be willing to hear other perspectives. I think that's a big one. You might have a lot of people in the middle who like, oh, I know there are people who had it bad. And then there are people who had a wonderful time at the school. And then there are a lot of people in the middle that that things were bad, but they weren't too bad. 
type of folks. And I would say, go listen to the stories of people who had it really bad and know that's a reflection of the school as a whole as well. They like to tout all the good things, but even on campus, but really be willing to hear people out and listen to people who have a different perspective than you. It will expand your world big time. Yes, such wonderful advice. And I do agree with your pessimistic take that it won't, you can't change it. And, and it was funny because before I was expelled from Bob Jones and like completely left that environment, one of a mentor that I had there was like, don't go on the outside and throw stones at the castle. You should stay on the inside and try to change it. <laughs> and I didn't say anything to that. But really, as I've left, I've realized that abusive people, abusive institutions will not change. And we shouldn't have to sacrifice our well-being and our safety to stay in harmful situations and try to change them. And so I think one of the most powerful things I think that we can say to people in that environment is the most powerful thing you can do is walk away because a cult is nothing without its followers. So for me, I think getting people to leave and not participate, and that's what's going to bring that system of control, that cult that's where we'll end it. And I think what's incredible is you can't be honest in that environment anyway. So when you're a survivor and you leave, you can openly speak about it. And other survivors or even people still in that can listen to you. And that's another thing is like when I publicly left, but like when Bob Jones, when they cannot control you anymore, they try to control how other people see you. Oh, yes. Yeah. And Which is the, not a clear abusive tactic right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a common tactic that cults use. There's smear campaigns that happen. And because they don't want you to listen to those outside perspectives, they don't want you to listen to anyone who has a different opinion than they mm-hmm. do or views that they do. You are a threat to that conformity, to that control. So they have to control how people see you and keep them away from you. And that's what I noticed when I left. And it was very telling. It said a lot more about them than it did me, honestly. Yeah, yeah, because you're telling the truth now. And not that you weren't before, but the quote that's been bouncing around in my head this whole conversation, and I really want to lead you with, I think it's wonderful what you're doing with this project. I think you're going to strike a nerve with a lot of people. And I think that's going to be a really good thing. And I forget who it's attributed to a few different people, but the quote, something like, if it can be destroyed by the truth, let it be destroyed by the truth and uh, keep telling the truth, Andrew. And I really applaud you and admire you for creating this platform for others to share the truth of their experience as well. I think it's needed and it's healing, and it's going to do a lot of good. Yeah, oh, thank you so much for saying that. And yeah, and it's like in that environment, you cannot express what you're experiencing, and you cannot express or criticize the school. So it's been an incredible opportunity to now be on the outside 
I've done a lot of deep dive into cults, coercive control, and therapy in my own journey. And I know I've had a, like the past year and a half, I've been forming a lot of thoughts and a lot of things about Bob Jones and a lot of insight. So I'm excited for this podcast. And thank you for all that you contributed today with your story. And I learned so much more now at the end of this, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just being open with your experiences and speaking your truth. Thank you, Andrew. Awesome. This has been really great. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And then, yeah, for people listening, thank you so much. And please leave a positive review and to help the podcast and help reach other listeners. And please share the podcast with people you think would enjoy it. And the last interview on this episode is Erin Birchwell. And I really wanted to ask her and really see what it's like being a Christian after BJU. Hello, everyone. I am so happy to have Erin Birchwell back on the podcast today. I greatly enjoyed our other interview, and I wanted to have Erin to come back on and talk about her experience of being a Christian after BJU. And I know she has some other stories that she did not get to share in the last interview, but thank you so much, Erin, for coming back on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Of course. And so I really want to start digging into really what it's like for your journey of being a Christian after BJU. So what does your faith look like now? And how did it look like at BJU? And really, what has changed since leaving Bob Jones? Great question. My relationship today with religion and with Jesus and with higher power looks so much different than it did when I was a Christian back at Bob Jones. Almost unrecognizable, but yet I I believe that I had genuine faith and still do have genuine faith in both scenarios. The difference now comes with the fact that I have a lot of life experience behind me and I can see things working together for good over longer periods of time. When I know when I was young and I saw all these injustices everywhere, I thought, is there a God? Did none of this make sense? And then when you get older, you go, oh, that I met that person then because I was going to go through this and then it was going to help me here. And I love that movie by M. Night Shyamalan called Signs, where there are all these little tiny quirks in life that make no sense. And some of them are annoying. And then suddenly at that one crucial moment in time where you needed to, everything to save your life, it all just, boom, goes, works together. And so hindsight is twenty twenty on a lot of stuff. But my Christianity at Bob Jones, I never really saw grace in practice, not true grace, grace where someone has done something really wrong and they're forgiven and it's not held against them at all because that's not grace. How we grew up, if you made one mistake, even a minor one, that could cost you teaching Sunday school for the rest of your life. So you couldn't mess up. So you could never come clean on any anything you needed to get. My religion looks different in that regards. I had to learn to not judge others, but even harder than that was not judging myself. I didn't realize how much I judge myself, not necessarily on everything spiritual, but on outward appearance, things that had always been pointed out about others to me, like her dress is too short, or she's listening to that, or she goes to that church. I was also projecting those 
on me. So learning to forgive myself for a lot of past behavior. When we were all, it's what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. When we were in Bob Jones, we were all in that system and it was survival. And so I'm sure, I have no doubt that I was mean to people or I tattletailed and I have beaten myself up for a long time for those things, but we all did those things when we were back in that culture because we were, again, we were trying to survive. And so I've had to learn not to judge. And I think the biggest difference to me is that I equated being a good Christian with how much I was doing in church. And I almost calculated that like Bob Jones does by hourly, hour, how many times and how many hours are your services. And our church meets just on Sunday morning. It's a late morning service, and that's it. We don't have a lot of functions. So I found that my time now is not in a church building so much, but it's with people and not just church people, but like people everywhere. I've built a lot of friends everywhere, not just the church. And so my time is being used, I think, in a much better way. When I think about concerts are wonderful. I was a fine arts major. I love a good production. But when I think about all the time in choir rehearsals every week, Sunday school meetings, Vesper rehearsals, let's go back to college, chapel attendance, exams on the Bible, I think, but how is that? How is that helping people? Yes, it was equipping me, but I feel like my time now is much better spent showing God's love by just being with people and helping people in a nutshell, I think. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm curious, do you follow any of BJU's rules since leaving? Not consciously. <laughs> I will say I've made it a point. I still make it a point, the rebellious streak in me. If there's sidewalk and a grass, and I've seen that people have cut in the grass, like I won't make the new path in the grass, but I might walk on the grass a little bit just because. No, I don't think that there are any rules that we, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, our youth group now meets at our house in the pool and our pastor, he's also a BJ grad. He'll say, all right, guys, float on over to the shallow end for just a quick minute. <laughs> we'll give a quick little challenge and then we're back to life. Yeah. No, not the same. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm curious to your response to this question that happens, I think, to a lot of people who didn't enjoy their time at BJU. And this question is, what would your response be to a fundamentalist Christian telling you that you're not a true believer or a true Christian? And really like your response really to someone saying that only real Christians enjoy attending BJU. Yeah, I would use their logic on them at first in that we're not to judge, that God is the one who judges the heart. No man can see what is in someone's heart. And I would tell them that I have a personal friendship with Jesus, and he's worked specifically in my life in a lot of ways, cannot be explained by science or any other way. So they can't see my heart and they're not supposed to judge. But I think if they would take a step back and look at where, again, where is their time being spent and on what, the amount of arguments that we used to have in those circles about whether someone's sideburns were too long for a production of Cyrano and do they need a special button to wear that that whole thing right there I think is a classic example of what they would call grieving the Holy Spirit because it's fighting and fighting about what nothing I know where my heart is and it is now with people so I would urge them without judging to say just look in your own heartbeat you can't look into mine and where they won't ever agree is that 
well, they've been told they can't agree, <laughs> but they, it's, it is a lot of work and it's hard to look at the situation you're in and say, oh no, wait a minute. I don't think this is a good situation, but I saw what happened to that person when they left and that is a lot of work and that is very hard and I don't want to start over. So it's a lot easier to just, it's a lot easier to stay than to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. What is your response to someone who says true Christians enjoy going to BJU? Without a doubt, I, in my 21 years at Bob Jones, I had a lot of fun times and fun memories. I had a lot of fun times with people traveling, some fine arts productions. I have no doubt that some people can nominally go to Bob Jones for a few years and have a good experience, have a positive experience. But that does not logically equate that the opposite is true. One person can go and have a great experience and someone can go and not. The problem is who you are coming in, who are your parents, who is your church, what's in your past, all those factors play into how your year will be. And I would argue that anyone who stayed there beyond grad school and has heard about the Grace Report and all the stories that have come out and has heard about all the other things that have happened. And then on top of it, the rape in 2019, and they still stay. I have a problem with that because I feel like that's willful ignorance on that note. But of course, it's possible to go and have a great time. And I have faculty kids who grew up there that still associate with the school and have seemed to have gotten a lot of the bad stuff. And that's their choice. So a lot of people you can go and have a good time, but staying many years and supporting a place, knowing what's happening is, I think, a different scenario. Yeah, thank you for sharing your insights on that. And then what is your opinion on the statement that fundamentalist Christians like to say, which is, we are doing what the Bible says and what the Bible says is the truth and never changes? Yeah, that one makes me laugh a little bit because we were told it never changed. The truth never changes. And that's why we had to listen to, in as late as the year 2001, music that didn't have a drum because God doesn't change. Our skirts had to be below our knee because God doesn't change. And now all of that's changed on campus. When you put on absolute like that, you're just asking for trouble and they just don't seem to get it that people are going to pick that apart. Yeah, God doesn't change, but clearly society changes and culturally look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. Obviously, that has nothing to do with God changing, but we change. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to share about your faith after BJU before we move yeah. on? <clears throat> yeah, I had a I had a difficult ejection, you would call it. It was like someone hit an eject button on us when we left fundamentalism. And I'm forever grateful now. However, it was really painful to essentially be booted out of an organization you had given your life to and your husband had given their lives to. And I'm talking about the last church we were in in Ohio. They, it was a rather abrupt, we left and were shunned. And in fact, people from that church who are elders or set, they call them session members. They're, sounds real fancy. The session members' wives are there. I'm still blocked on all social media 10 years later. They still run the other way when they see me in Target. It was abrupt and it was difficult. And I had a really rough time back then. And I told my husband I would never go to church again. would never set, step foot into a Christian school again. I had 
just on a personal, I had built this great, I thought, great theater department from nothing at this small Christian school. And I wasn't being paid because my husband had a good job. That's another little difference that women have. And because I wasn't good enough, they had, the kids had no play that year. They just took the play away from them rather than have me come and do it for free. I had written off God, church, religion, said it had none, nothing to do with it. And I had some very good friends during that time, which was also confusing, who were not Christians, who brought us food and were very kind to us because I mean, we started over. My husband grew up here in those circles. I grew up in those circles. When we left, we were out. And so I wrote all those things off, but I had very kind people that God placed in my life who showed me grace the whole way through. My pastor is a Bob Jones grad who has a really great story. He's no longer at all an associate of Bob Jones at all. In fact, doesn't like to tell people that's where he's from. But he was so kind and caring, and he never pressured us to go to church. I think we visited for seven years before I did anything because I he, he wouldn't let me work in the nursery in the beginning or do anything that I wanted to do because he's, you're burnt out. You need to rest and take care of yourself. And he was just very kind and very gentle. And slowly, God just started showing me that he's, he is there. He's not gone. And then I had to look at my life and say, all right, what has my life been? It's been this. It's been a tangled mess. But what do I want it to become? And I think the most important thing in life, especially coming out of something as sticky and horrible and tangled as a cult, is you're going to have a lot of tangles, maybe always. But as long as you're detangling, as you're trying, you're still trying and changing. I'm still changing. I'm still learning. That's a bad thought pattern that I grew up with. I don't do that. As, as long as you're still trying and improving, I think that's the important part in coming out of something like this. Yeah, I think that's a great way to really see that. And what I see is like that open-mindedness that mm -hmm. comes with that and willing to adjust with new people and information. And yeah, it is like you said, it is a little confusing when you come out of that environment and people who you were told weren't supposed to be good or loving are really loving yes. and kind to you. And it's just so amazing when you discover that on yeah. the outside. And I also <laughs> discovered that once you took all those really strict rules away, you're actually able to, I'll use their words, minister to a whole bunch of people that before that would have been off limits because they're playing really bad music there or they're drinking at that party or they're, when you take that away, you realize I've been fulfilling the great commission at all. I had too many rules placed on who I could be around. And once you take those away, you realize that's what helping people is about getting down and dirty and helping people not sitting in a clean church. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.